You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. And if you would find a Bible and open it up to Philippians chapter 3, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in front of you, in the seat in front of you. Uh, Maybe where you are in Overflow, there are Bibles around you. If you don't know where the book of Philippians is, you can ask the person beside you. If they don't know where it is, then you can look in the table of contents. All right, Philippians chapter 3, I have no message apart from God's Word. If you don't own a Bible and you want one, as Craig mentioned, you can, after the service, we'd love to give you one. It's on us. We uh, care so much about God's Word because that's how we hear God's voice. Just as you're opening to Philippians chapter 3, I was at a family dinner this past Friday on Good Friday celebrating Easter weekend, and um, we were there. We had a wonderful meal. At the end of the meal, there was some dessert, and I heard about this cake that was in the room, and it had a saying on it, and uh, I kind of I walked over, and I wanted to see it for myself, and here's what the cake looked like, and here what the saying was on it. It's this, silly rabbit, Easter's for Jesus. Love that. So apparently it was, amen, apparently it was my wife who had this put on the cake and she saw it on a sign somewhere. She says, that's a great saying. So she goes, I think it was to Dairy Queen or something. She goes to Dairy Queen and they're like, here's the cake. What would you like the message to be? And she says, silly rabbit, Easter's for Jesus. And the guy looks at her and is like, huh? I want to know, you know? And apparently he really didn't understand what she was asking for. So he literally found a girl from the back. Come over here. This woman's crazy. You've got to help her. You know, something like that, whatever. But the girl ended up writing this down. Silly rabbit Easter is for Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. That is so true. No offense, rabbit. Actually, lots of offense. There we go. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. The reason we are here is Jesus and only Jesus. Now, one of the things we love to do when we're looking at God's Word, I encourage you, if you've maybe never really encountered God's Word, is it's always so helpful to place yourself in the story. You can just read it, you know, from a distance, or you can enter in, and especially within things like the narrative of the Easter story. So, the day that's not often talked about between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, of course, is Saturday. Some people refer it to as Holy Saturday. But I love when I place myself in the story or in the text, because again, you start to enter into what it must have been like. So let's just do that for a second. So we find ourselves on Friday night or Saturday, and this man, Jesus, who his disciples believed was the Christ, um, Christ is a term for Messiah, that he is the chosen one. He was sent by God to save Israel from their sins and deliver them from their oppression, okay? So they believed he was the Christ. He believed he was their king. But as of Friday night and Saturday, uh, this king is now dead. And he did not die a death of old age. He did not die a death of some prolonged illness like we see around us often. No, in fact, he died a horrific death. He died at the hands of the Romans at the Roman cross, which was the worst possible way to die then. And can you imagine a worse death even now? So therefore, you imagine yourself and on Saturday what it must have been like. Um, I suggest you eerily quiet. The commotion had stopped. The city of Jerusalem was in an uproar on the Friday, not just to mention the trial and the murder of Jesus, but of course Passover itself and the preparation. Saturday was Passover. Now, don't let this be lost on you. Under the sovereignty of God, the evil, murderous rage of men who deeply desired to see Jesus killed, they are rushing to have Jesus murdered before Passover. Did they not stop and consider for one second the timing of what was taking place? The very man who claimed to be the Lamb of God himself, 
the Savior of the world, the great I Am, the orchestration of events at the same time he's dying on the cross, the lambs are being brought to be slaughtered at the temple for the forgiveness of the sins for God's people, and there is Jesus, and under God's sovereignty, he arranges it in the course of history that Jesus, his son, would die, of course, at Passover because the Passover lamb has entered into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and a few days later, he would be killed and died for your sins and mine. God working even within the murderous rage of man itself, again, lost on them, and they kill Jesus, and then they strictly observe the Sabbath a day later. What a sense of hypocrisy and irony in that moment. Not to mention Saturday too, of course, being the Sabbath was a day of complete and utter rest. The Passover Sabbath was the highest day in terms of what would be done and the rest that would be instituted and the work that would not take place. And by the way, symbolically, I love this thought too, symbolically when Jesus Christ, when he dies on Friday, and symbolically he rests from his work on Saturday. The work he did on the cross, and then of course on the Sabbath he rests symbolically, God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh and, and then Sunday he would rise as his work was completed and then the world would never be the same again. So again, I try to imagine the Saturday, imagine the, the shouting, the rage, the accusing, the killing of Friday, all that has stopped. This troublemaker Jesus has died. Evil is now satisfied. Did any of the disciples sleep a wink Friday night? Did they try Did they even hope to get an hour of sleep? They just weep and weep and weep. How lonely was Saturday? How depressing was Saturday? Think about it. In their terms, hope was gone. Faith was gone. Love, Christ was loved. Love was gone. The religious leaders, they gather and they cackle along with Satan in delight at their apparent victory, giving each other high fives as they, in their pernicious evil, Thought they had won. The disciples must have been a mess, dazed and confused, feeling, listen, feeling ultimate loss and despair. Some of us are here right now feeling the same thing for various reasons, feeling ultimate loss and despair and fighting for hope. You are in the right place. This is the message of Easter which conquers those things, whether you're a disciple 2,000 years ago or whether you're a person here right now. Why is it so powerful to think on Saturday? Because it sets up more and more the wonder of Sunday. The wonder of Sunday. What it must have been like the moment you knew. You say, knew what? Knew what? Imagine the first second your brain comprehended the truth. He was dead, but now he's alive. Imagine the first second your brain starts to register this news, this truth. Mary speaks to the angel. Peter hears the report. John runs to the tomb and looks inside. Thomas touching the very scars of Jesus himself. I mean, put yourself there. Be one of those individuals. The power of knowing the truth. Imagine the explosion of the light in your heart. Imagine the igniting of joy in your mind. Imagine your physical heart pounding from your chest. The adrenaline that began to fill you as you start to understand, wait, wait, wait. I have just understood and known that Jesus Christ is alive, that the angel said to Mary that first morning, he is not here, he is risen. This is our truth today. The power, listen, of knowing, truly knowing Jesus Christ, not knowing about him. No, no, no. Knowing him. You cannot know the truth of Easter truly and remain unchanged. 
More accurately, you cannot know the person of the truth of Easter, Jesus Christ. It's impossible to truly know him and remain unchanged. This is what our text is going to say for us today. Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses primarily. Verses 10 and 11. By the way, if you're here visiting again, we're so glad you're with us. We've been in a series on the book of Philippians. Why is it called Philippians? It's a letter written to the church in the city of Philippi. To the Philippians, uh, 2,000 years ago approximately, written by Paul himself, who was massively transformed by Jesus Christ. He's writing it to encourage the church and those seeking Jesus Christ at this time. And you're going to find out it's so relevant for us even now here today. That's the power That's the glory of God's word is why we believe in it so strongly. Philippians 3 verse 10, Paul says this. That I may know him. Who's him? Christ, Christ. That I may know Jesus Christ, him, and the power of his resurrection. And notice, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, any means possible possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's start here then today. We're seeking to understand the power of knowing Christ. Number one, the power of knowing Christ then, one word, resurrection. The power of knowing Christ, resurrection. Again, Paul says, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is why everything changed with Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings about the most powerful turning point the world has ever known. The moment, you got to think, think, think. The moment Jesus walks out from that tomb is the moment, ready, death has been defeated forever. Now here's what's so staggering and so awesome. Maybe you've never thought of it this way. Jesus (coughs) doesn't just defeat death for himself, but rather every single, I mean, hear this today. Hear overflow wherever you are. Every single human being who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, believes in Jesus, they too have defeated death forever, not by what they have done, by what Christ has done. Every person who knows Christ and the power of his resurrection, they too have defeated death forever. That's why Easter Sunday is so massive again to the church. Here's what the resurrection guarantees. The resurrection guarantees the following. Some theology to renew your mind, to impact your heart and your worship. It guarantees that payment for sin was in full. Jesus died for our sins on Friday. He was buried. The moment he is raised, that is the Father saying, I receive the payment for sin in full. We are guaranteed when Jesus Christ leaves that tomb. Resurrection also guarantees Jesus was victorious over death. When Jesus is raised from the dead, he is now in his resurrected body. It will never face death again. It will never have to sleep. It will never see sickness or illness of any kind. Jesus is described in the Bible as the first fruits in his resurrected body. First fruits is a farming term. It's a sample of the harvest that is to come. 
Jesus is the indicator, is the first sample of the greater harvest of all those who love and believe in him that we too will have a resurrected body, again, not subject to sin or death or any kind of pain whatsoever when Jesus Christ returns. The resurrection guarantees that sin, Satan, and death are forever defeated. And now is a great spot for an amen. There you go. It guarantees this, the believer's forgiveness and justification. So you're here right now, and Satan whispers into you, and you're alive in Jesus Christ, and Satan says, you stink, and you're guilty, and you'll never be good at whatever, and you can look at Satan, you can look at those lies right in the face, and you say, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because the tomb is empty, I am guaranteed I'm forgiven. I'm guaranteed, justification is a legal term. The judge says, you're innocent. God the Father says, you're innocent because my son is, if you belong and love and believe in Jesus Christ. The resurrection guarantees this. It guarantees the believer's heavenly reign, that heaven is real and we will reign with Christ forever. And it guarantees, again, as we've said, the believer's resurrected body. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is massively important because at the moment that happens, the world again is never the same again. No wonder Paul says that I may know him. And think of the testimony that Paul is himself. Think of the Easter testimony that Paul is. In fact, as you're reading Scripture, it's so good to read some verses before that passage and after. It gives you context to understand greater. Let's get some context here. Look at Philippians 3, verse 4 on the screen for you as well. You know what Paul's about to do? He's like, listen, I'm saved in Jesus Christ, but I used to think I was saved because of what I did. I used to think all my accomplishments were getting me somewhere. I had this massive resume that I was so excited about and I boasted in all the time and I thought I was the best of the best. I wonder who's here right now that are walking in with a resume built on self that you think is going to get you somewhere that it's not. I wonder. Let's, let's learn from Paul, verse 4. He says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's like, you think you're self-righteous? I was more self-righteous. You think you got stuff to boast in? I'm better than you. In terms of where I was in the day of his caliber, man, if there was an achievement and accomplishments given to what someone has done, Paul was it. Listen, he says this. He says, circumcised on the eighth, for a Jewish man, a Jewish context, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the best of the Jews, he says. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. Every detail I followed, man, I had it all down. As to zeal and passion, I was a persecutor of the church, the church of Jesus Christ before he was changed, as to righteousness under the law, in terms of following rules, Paul says, I was blameless. No one was better than me. He's, he's pulling out his resume right now. He's like, look how awesome it was. I wonder who's here right now, man, and if truth be told, you have your resume out too, and you're looking at all the things, look at all the things I'm going to do. Look at all my accomplishments. Look at all my intellect. Look at all my money. Look at all my possessions. Look at all the things I've done. Look at all the friends I have. Look at all the status. Look at all the... They have this resume built on self. That, by, by the way, all our world goes to... Everything in our world points to this. Self, 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 self. Self-achievement, self-accomplishment, self-righteousness, self-preservation, self-pleasure, self, 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 self. Everything in our world is built around self. It's all what we can produce to lift ourselves up and to hold up and to make ourselves feel better because somehow we're convincing ourselves that this is value that's going to last. But what Paul says here is he says, and we're going to see in a second, he's like, I had the resume of resumes, but the moment I met Jesus Christ, everything on my foundation crumbled. 
Everything I thought I had built up as some kind of achievement has now been burst into ruins before the reality and the eternity of a life in Jesus Christ. This is why the great hymn says, On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That is truth. That is true. And we see now here that Paul says that I may know him. Now he says in verse 7, watch this. He says in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, whatever resume I brought, whatever money I had on the table, whatever accomplishment, whatever possessions, whatever job I had, whatever I thought I had to offer to myself and beyond. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. You see, so Paul's value system is completely changing on its head. The reality of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, everything changes. He even gets more serious in verse 8. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as lost. Paul, how could you do that? How could you count? Because, he says, because of the surpassing worth. You see, his value in knowing knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Question, what do you value? Whatever you and I value determines the direction of our lives. What do we place our affections in? What do we hold most dear? Whatever we love, that's who we become. Most of the world loves this life, so they become like this world which isn't any good. Paul says, indeed, whatever I had, I count all as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing, knowing intimately, personally, experientially Jesus Christ as Lord. And then notice also in verse 9, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as trash. In my home, my boys, they, they like that saying, they're like, that's trash. That's trash. That's, that's garbage. And Paul would say amen to that in this context. He says, I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know what he's saying there? He's like, man, the whole world, the whole world compared to Christ, it is as trash. So at our home this week, we had a glorious garbage day. And I love garbage day. You know, like when it's like we go every other week, there's recycle, and then there's recycle and garbage day. I get really excited when it's recycle and garbage day. You know what I mean? You got to wait two weeks for it to happen again. Because this past week, man, we're there, and we had the recycle out, and we had the normal garbage bags out. Then we had a litany of stuff on the boulevard as well that was all trash that we're ready to be purged of and done with. And those are some of my favorite days. You put it all out, and you watch it be taken away. Praise the Lord. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And you're sitting there, and you're watching this, and you're just like, it is rubbish. And the garbage cup come and somehow miraculously they take it, they put it away, and then all of a sudden you show up later on, it's all gone, it's all gone. And you count it as rubbish. This is what Paul's doing in the text. He is looking at the reality of our world. Can you imagine if you could live this way? He looks at the reality of our world and he's like, it's, it's, it's as rubbish. All the things the world holds up that everything life is to be found in. Money and possessions and fame and blah, 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 blah. And he's like, it's all trash compared to Christ. Man, the freedom of being able to live that way. The freedom and the power to say it's all loss compared to knowing the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No wonder he says again in verse 10, that I may know him, that I may know him, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And listen, you got to know this. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, hear me now, is offered to you. In your life right now, the same power 
that raised Christ from the dead is offered to us for those who know and believe and love Jesus Christ. No wonder Satan and his demons are trying to cover the tomb at all costs. Friday night, saying the demons again, they're cackling with delight. We won, we won. On Saturday, they're like, I look all lonely and depressed. All his disciples, they're all dead. And then Sunday morning comes and they kind of get a, a hint of, whoa, 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 what's that angel doing over there? And, and the earth starts to quake and the stone gets removed and saying in his horror and in his fear, no, no. And because the, the moment the stone is rolled away, he knows he's done. He's absolutely done forever. And Christ comes forth, death is defeated, and Satan's days are absolutely numbered. So what Satan tries to do from that day forward, he wants to take every single person he can, man, woman, and child, with him into the depths of hell that they might die forever. Satan will do whatever he can for that to take place. And the moment Christ was raised, he has been on a mission to do so. He has no ultimate power. God is ultimately in control, but he's a formidable opponent. And think about it, loved ones, in our day, how anti-Christ this culture is. But what you have to understand, right, Satan will do whatever he can to hide the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, to hide the gospel message. So in the end of the day, this is what wisdom says, our battle's not against culture, our battle's not against politicians, our battle's not against the way that society is going. At the end of the day, this is good versus evil. This is the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of light. This is Satan versus Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, the battle raging around us, Satan will hide behind whatever he can. He's trying to kill as many people as possible. By the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 4, to blind the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. Ephesians 2 says that the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, calls us to be caught up in the lusts of the flesh and the longing for the world that we might no longer see Christ and we would be in our place of bondage and slavery to sin and death. This is why Paul says, at any cost, I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You have to know right now, man, what's being offered to you today, you can personally know Jesus Christ. Now hear me, this is not know about so many people know about Jesus. He was a historical figure. He was a good man. He was a prophet. He's just got to, no, 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 no. Satan can do that too, okay? To actually know him personally, intimately, have Christ in you, uh, uh, saved and born again, saved from death. This is the invitation, which you have to also realize, and the media will never tell you this, Really, there's never been a greater work of Jesus Christ across this earth in many ways than right now. You can't stop Jesus. Across this world today, man, he is saving thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people across this world, genuinely in the gospel, never to be the same again. I mean, the baptism video we saw to open the service, man, that is life after life, testifying I was dead, now I'm alive. You can't stop Jesus. My advice, you might as well join him. But it takes, it takes a heart of humility that understands they're a sinner in need of a savior. What's the offer today? Love. It's unconditional, unbreakable love and freedom from sin. This is why Easter is so glorious and so powerful. This is why the Easter message is so rich and so beautiful. Some of you right now, some of you are like, well, how do I do this? Do I have to work harder? Do I have to come to church more? No. Do I, do I have to do certain deeds? Do I have to be a better person? And the answer is no. You're like, oh, I've been taught that my whole life. I mean, that's just, I watch on TV, I see certain things. I mean, surely I just have to clean my act up and then all of a sudden I'll get into heaven. No, no. If you've heard that, if you believe that, that's a lie. That's not in the Bible. It's nothing to do with what we do. I want you to look at Philippians 3, verse 9. 
on the screen for you too. Look at this. This could change your life right here. Paul says, and being found in him in Christ, listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. See what Paul's saying right there? This is what he's saying. I mean, look at this screen right there. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. What Paul's saying is, it's not about trying harder. It's not about being a good person. Because you'll never be good enough. Some of you are here right now, man. If I could just walk some more old ladies across the street, then I'll get into heaven. That's not in the Bible, man. If I can just show up to church a couple of times more a year, then God will like me more. That's not in the Bible. If I can just say a couple more prayers throughout the week, if I'm a better person than my neighbor, if I stop doing so much bad things, then surely God will, it's not in the Bible. You'll never be good enough and neither will I. One sin prevents you from heaven because God is holy. One sin. We can never be righteous enough. You'll never be good enough and neither will I. But see what Paul says there. He says, it's not about my own doing. He says this in verse 9. He says, but that which comes through, tell me, faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on, tell me, faith. Faith, faith, faith in what? Faith in Christ. To believe that he died for your sins. To believe that he rose from the dead. All of our righteousness can only come from Christ. He gives it to us as we believe on him through faith. You're like, Rob, you're telling me I'm here right now, and you say I get into heaven, and sin is is cleansed and death defeated by simply believing in Jesus Christ? Yes! Yes! You turn from sin. You embrace Christ. You will never die. You mean I don't have to work for this? No! You mean Christ has done it all for me? Yes! You're like, that's such a good deal. I know. It's incredible. It's the gospel. It's grace. It's the love of God. He sent his son to die that we might live. But it does require faith to give your life over to Jesus. Because he loves you so much, he was sent. Whoever believes in him will not die. But they have everlasting life. May there not be one person here today who's unclear what's being offered to them. You are being offered power and victory over death itself by the grace, mercy, love, and faith in Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul says that I may know him, that I may truly know him and his resurrection. But you know what happens next? We get caught off guard with point number two. Point number two catches us by surprise. The reality of knowing Christ, suffering, This is where the lineup to receive Christ gets shorter. Uh, Verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, notice, and, 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 may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Now let's just be honest, there's a lot of Christianity in our day that likes the first half of verse 10 but won't read the second. There's a lot of false teachers in our day that will say things like, Jesus wants to make you happy. Jesus is a genie in the bottle. Jesus is your vending machine. Jesus just wants you to make you happy, happy, happy. Jesus will solve all your problems. Come to Jesus and everything gets fixed. Happy, healthy, and wealthy. It's not in the Bible, man. What is in the Bible that Jesus Christ will save you from sin, death, and Satan? What is in the Bible that Jesus Christ also promises to follow him is the hard way. It's the narrow way. It's the way of persecution. It's the way of rejection. It's the way that will be difficult. It's the way of trial. It's the way at times of grief. But 
to follow Jesus Christ is victory again over death itself. Revy Zacharias, I believe, it was him who said this. He says, Jesus is not about making bad people good. Jesus is about making dead people alive. And you see the difference there? Our ultimate problem is not that we're bad. Our ultimate problem is that we're dead. Apart from Christ, we're not alive. Jesus says you must be born again, made spiritually alive. The soul within you needs to be made alive by the Spirit of God for the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that so powerful? Because the moment you and I know that we need to become alive in Jesus Christ, it changes how you live entirely. So what the Bible says here in the second half of verse 10, it's the law of the kingdom. It's anti-world. It's this. It's understanding again that on Easter weekend, pain leads to plenty and death leads to life. And when we get this, it changes again how we live. What we're learning here already, we're learning this. It's impossible to truly know Christ and not also in some form share and know his sufferings. It's impossible in some form, in some way. To know Christ is to also share in his sufferings. Now let's just pause here for a second because this is big boy stuff. This is big girl stuff right now. Like this is a maturity that maybe few get to. Think about it. Knowing Christ's power and his resurrection allows you to endure the sufferings of life because you know ultimately this life is not all there is. Conversely, the sufferings of this life for Christ allow you to know further the power of his resurrection because in the sufferings we depend on him more and see his glory more in our lives. I'll say it again. The power of Christ and his resurrection allows us the strength to endure the sufferings because we're not living for now. And the sufferings of Christ point us to depend on him more and to know in greater measure the power of his resurrection upon our lives. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. What happens? It makes sense of, of purpose and the pain and the difficulties of life. It prepares us for the greater life to come. I mean, how many of us here right now, if we're honest, man, this Easter weekend right now, hurting, broken, crying, suffering for different reasons. I mean, how do I know? I've been a pastor for so many years now, man. So many hundreds of people. No situations. I see this world. It's not working. The world is not working. But all of a sudden, to have purpose within suffering for Jesus, how much life changes. Again, the Easter story itself, the pain of Friday leads to the joy of Sunday. It's the will of God. It's the way of God. It's how he works. We're not living ultimately for now. The temporal is temporal. The eternal is eternal. That's the point of wisdom. So some of us say right now, you say, why would I ever sign up for suffering with Jesus? Why would I ever want to do that, man? I want life to be easy. Here's why. Mark chapter 8. It's called wisdom. And it's called truth. Jesus says this. Whoever would save his life, build themselves into this life here and now. This is all there is. Whoever would save his life will lose it. At the end of the day, you meet Jesus Christ face to face. He will judge the living and the dead. You are the former or against him. Whoever would lose his life, Jesus says, for my sake and the gospels will save it. You die to self to live for Jesus. You have eternal life. Jesus then says this. Here's a point of wisdom. Listen, listen, listen. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? What does it profit a man to gain this? This is the system of our world right here. 
more money, more stuff, more possessions, more fame, more acclaim, whatever it is. It's just, it build up, build up, build up. Everything we're trying to do is gain more, 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 more. But see here, the wisdom is, what does the profit if you gain all the money in the world, all the biggest houses in the world, all the best accomplishments in the world, but in the end, you forfeit your soul for all of eternity. That makes you, the Bible says, a fool. You are living entirely for that which will not last. Jesus says here, when you understand there's so much more to come, uh, in eternity, a long time, then all of a sudden living for the world doesn't make any sense anymore. This is why you sign up to follow Jesus Christ because you understand the value of eternity is so much greater than the temporal earth right now. And what's this? You know, I've been a pastor so many years, I've stood beside so many hospital beds of people about to die. I've never heard one person say to me, Pastor, would you count my money? Pastor, would you go out and invest for me right now? And this, Pastor, it's never, ever happened. The only thing they care about is all of a sudden what life is actually about. Eternity, destiny, relationships. It's just called wisdom, loved ones. It's just, t- you're here right now. You're here right now because God loves you. Like, again, you think this is by chance? There's no way. There's no way. You and I both know, man, the majority of our world, the majority of our time is spent on really not much of anything at all. We're just passing life by, going through one thing after another, and to just stop long enough and to say, wait, why am I here again? That's a powerful moment. Paul has the answer by the Holy Spirit, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You see, why, why, why? It leads us to our third point. The hope, the hope of knowing Christ, eternal life. Because verse 11 says, he says this, why would I suffer for Christ? He says, verse 11, that by any means possible, whatever it takes, I may attain the resurrection of the dead, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters, that I am alive in Jesus Christ, and that I am a child of him. Remember, Loved ones, um, this life seems so long sometimes, doesn't it? We get fooled. This life seems so long, sometimes maybe it seems short. But again, the, the, the things that, that give us anxiety in every day, day in, day out, it seems so big. But remember, remember, this life compared to eternity, one way to describe it, you draw a line from Victoria to Halifax. You draw a straight line from Victoria to Halifax. Our life on this earth is but a pinprick on the length of that line. In the, in the, and it's even longer than that. In proportion to eternity, our lives are a pinprick from Victoria to Halifax. And we put so much stock in that pinprick when in the end and we die, it adds up to nothing. This is why Paul says, I give everything else as loss. Because when understanding the love and the purpose and the glory of Jesus Christ, This is who I'm living for. And think about it too. Our society is obsessed, obsessed with entertainment. 
We have this escapism mentality. If I can just get through the next hour, just get through the next evening, just watch another sporting event, if I can just kind of numb myself to the pain of this world and just look forward to the next weekend and the next drinking binge and the next time with drugs or whatever it is, the next time of sex, if I can just find the next pleasure moment and forget about the reality of the misery of this world, and we go on and on and on. People do this until they reach death itself and they've never pondered the actual purpose of their lives. It is a tragedy. Our world is obsessed with escaping reality because in the end, the number one fear of humankind is death. So we try to pretend death's not coming. But the reality is, last time I checked, every person ever born actually dies. Every person. But why are we so afraid of death? Ask yourself, why are we so afraid of death? Terrified of death. Why? Think about it. Think about it. I think we know why. Because deep, deep down, man, there's a consciousness within us that says there is a life after this one. But let me ask you this question. But what if death was not to be feared? What if death was actually welcomed? Paul says in chapter 2 of the same book, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's like, if I die, man, I'm better off because I'm with my Savior. You imagine staring death in the face and being like, you got nothing on me. Death, where's your sting? Death, where's your victory? Man, there's so many people who would give everything to have that. I'm telling you, man, you got to give nothing to get it right now today. His name is Jesus Christ. You just got to believe in him. To live as Christ, to die is gain. This is the power of the gospel, the power of knowing Christ and the, res, the, the resurrection. Again, look at um, on the screen for you, Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Here's what Paul says. This is just flooded with this truth. But our citizenship is in heaven. We're not from this world. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to return. Notice what's he going to do. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I mean, every time I read that, I just get encouraged. Why? Because I woke up again this week, and one morning I had five different joints filled with arthritis. Oh, this aging body. I'm only in my 40s. Some of you are way worse. Some of you are way better. But trust me, your time's coming too. All right, young people? We're all getting older, man. Everything about it. There's significant illness in this room right now. There's significant pain. There's significant heartache. Imagine you could stare your illness in the face. Imagine you could stare your pain in the face. Imagine you could stare your heartache in the face. Imagine you could stare your sin in the face. And in the power of knowing Christ and his resurrection, you could say, you are ultimately defeated. Because one day soon my Savior's returning and he will transform this lowly body to be like his glorious body. And no pain and sin and death and all that is gone, all because of his promise to me in his life, death, and resurrection. That's the hope of the gospel that's only found by the power of Jesus Christ. And this is why we gather today this message of love, which seemingly seems too good to be true. All that to say this, I speak directly to the man here today. The man miserable in his sin. Maybe you've never admitted it to anyone. But just like me, for so many, you tried it all, man. You tried it all. And you kept trying to convince yourself the next thing's going to work. The next thing, the next pleasure is going to work. But it doesn't. And each time you try, you become more and more empty and disillusioned. I speak directly to you, man, today. Miserable in your sin. You're so sick and tired of being sick and tired of this world. I speak directly to the woman today. 
the woman longing for purpose and identity. And you've been thinking the next piece of clothing, the next physical part of your appearance is somehow going to prove your identity to people that you're longing for acceptance around you. And you're so tired of striving after something you can never ultimately get and people let you down all the time. What if your identity was found in the beauty and the glory and the radiance of Jesus Christ? The unconditional, undiminishing beauty and love that only he can give you. In all the seriousness I can muster, I speak directly to the teenager today. The teenager fighting despair and even suicidal thoughts, which for sure is in this room right now. Your fight for despair will only deepen as long as you allow yourself to fall into the hole and misery of this world. But Jesus Christ speaks to you today and says, I am the light of this world. I am the light in your darkness. I am the answer to your longing. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the great I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He speaks to you today, teenager, and he says, would you believe in me to find out what life is really about? I speak to the young adult today who feels defeated, craving love in a society filled with social media and empty promises. And Jesus Christ says, I will be a love to you you never imagined. A love that never diminishes. A love that is unfading. A love that is unbreakable. A love that is dependent upon no one else, he says, but me. I speak directly to the husband today. This is your time, husband. For decades, your heart has been so hard. Stubborn, defiant, and proud. But maybe for the first time ever, there's a crack. There's a breaking of your heart. There's just a little bit of it that's starting to be open to the truth and promises of Jesus Christ. Today is your day. For the first time ever, bow your knee. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Declare him as Lord. And you see what kind of changes he brings. That you might start to understand the fullness and love of life. Some of you right now, you're like, okay, how do I do this? I want, I want him. I believe right now. How do I do this? It's not that complicated. Cry out to Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. Admit you're a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. With all your heart, say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. Cry out to Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, raise me from the dead. Raise me from the dead. Give me life, O Lord. The Bible says this in the book of Romans. And listen also carefully. This could be it for you right now. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, meaning, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the one who should be driving in your spiritual car now, no longer you. You've tried driving your whole life, man. You keep crashing in and totaling your car. It's not working. When you give Jesus the wheel, you're declaring him to be Lord and master of ruler of your life. Jesus, where you go, I go. Take me. And the Bible says, if you confess with me, Jesus, Lord, and believe in your heart. Notice, believe in your heart. Believe with your soul that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. One more time. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, you believe by faith, by faith, not you, him. Faith, 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 faith. 
you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that you believe what the resurrection guarantees the empty tomb, you will be saved. Saved from sin, saved from death, saved from the grasp of Satan. This is why this church exists at the end of the day, to hold up Jesus Christ as high as we can, that all those with eyes of faith would run to him, be saved in him, and know how loved they are by him. Oh, may the Lord work in our midst today. On behalf of Jesus Christ, I invite you to forgiveness of sins. I invite you to eternal life. I invite you to be resurrected from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I believe you are, you are changing lives even now. I believe you are giving the, the gift of faith. I believe you are creating a sense of mourning over sin, but with the result of rejoicing over forgiveness. We beg you, Lord, as thousands have prayed in the days leading up to this, you would be changing lives forever. Would you give people the faith, the gift of faith, to understand that what is before them today is true. You are true. You are real. And you invite them to a personal, intimate relationship where you become the master and you become their savior and you become the one who guarantees them life over death. Oh Lord, may it be received. And may the joy even start to unfold even now as we respond with such gospel truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.